Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Spanning the entire African diaspora. Worldwide, baby. Worldwide. Worldwide. Blasting and beaming from the tech tech. I'm excited about today because we are almost at the end of our preseason. Hitting our stride. We are hitting our stride and quickly moving toward 2022 when everything gets kicked up a notch. As they say in New Orleans, or to quote Emerald Lagasse. I was just about to say that. Like my grandfather, my mother's father, Daniel Jefferson Thomas III, I love cooking shows and used to watch Emerald Lagasse all the time. And his thing was he would do a little of this, a little bit of that, a little salt and pepper, a little garlic, and take a commercial break. And when we come back, another we're going notch. Up, we're going up another, another notch. notch. Right. I love it. So for 2022, we are going up another, another notch. notch. We're going up another notch. And so in this Thanksgiving season, we just want to say thank you for your feedback, for listening, for being a part of the show, and look forward to you being part of the Sky is Black membership community that launches in 2022. Yes. Thank you so much for coming along with us on this journey. So far, we've been giving you an opportunity to get to know us, to know our personalities a little bit, know our voices, experience a little yin and a little yang, a little information, a little insight, some je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi, along with my world-renowned comic genius. Genius. Genius as to Ganyuus. We'll continue to always be just absolutely scintillating. Scintillating as to fire. <laughs> yes. And so what's nice is, if you're enjoying the podcast as it is right now, you'll always be able to receive this. Because it isn't about me or you. It is about NK. Well, yes, NK, call us. My, my wife and I still want to have you over for dinner. Was she able to, did she accept the Thanksgiving dinner invite? No, she didn't show up for Thanksgiving. We kind oh, of had. NK, come on now. We had like an empty table setting, kind of like, you know, like Elijah, you know, mm-hmm. we're waiting to come in and, mm-hmm. and the door was unlocked, but, yes. but she didn't come by. I'm not sure she got the invite, but but still nonetheless, NK, we, we want you to join us for dinner one day and that will be a glory we'll, we'll cook a really good meal and and like you're saying it's about all of us it is about all of us we are not only breaking podcast rules but we're making our own smashing podcast rules so well, we are smashing aren't we we are smashing <laughs> smashing pumpkins smashing rules smashing smashing it all as i was driving down in, through town today i saw the the grandstands going up for the Tournament of Roses parade, the Rose Parade. Yes, indeed. So it's already starting. The bloom is bizak. <laughs> the Rose Bowl's coming up. Love it. And the parade. The and Rose the parade. parade. Yes. The Rose Parade. And the Rose Bowl game, which, by the way, Cal will not be participating in. Neither will UCLA. Neither will UCLA, although they are bowl eligible and they will find themselves in some bowl. It could be the Rose Bowl, but I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Go Bruins. And thank goodness Stanford will also not be participating in the Rose Bowl. It's hard for me to be a hater against Stanford. My wife's alma mater, so you know, go fear the tree. Well, I fear no tree. <laughs> we are in possession of the axe, we fear no tree. Don't bring that axe near my beautiful oak tree though, because we're under a beautiful oak here, so don't don't mess with that with your axe. Yes. So anyway, but, so the Rose Bowl is also part of the festivities. But I have to say, we took my son, the very last one before they canceled it for COVID and everything else. Mm-hmm. He went to the 2020 Rose Parade and he loved it. He was blown away by the bands. Mm-hmm. And this has been the first time I'd been to the parade in years. I mean, if you're a Pasadena person, you, you tend to go a few times and then you take some time off. And really, first time since we'd had kids that we took him to the Rose Parade. And I have to say that going to any parade, but in particular to the Rose Parade, the mm-hmm. Tournament of Roses in Pasadena on New Year's Day with a child, a small child, the wonder in their eyes, the way that they wave to everyone on the floats, it's absolutely incredible. And this year, the theme of the Rose Parade is Dream, Believe, Achieve. And what a way to sort of come Dream, back. Dream, Believe, Achieve. Yes. Love it. 
what a way to sort of come back. You know, the, the bloom is back, baby. You know, it's tick tick bloom. It's going to be incredible. And I remember one year around Avery's age, may have been a little bit older, I got quote unquote lost at the Rose Bowl. I had gone with my family, mother, sister, my aunt, also a Cal grad, and probably my cousin too. There's no reason why I would be there, my cousin Jeff, mm-hmm. uh, to not be there. And somehow or another, I took it upon myself to go do something. At five, you had things to do? Pretty sure I did. I'm sure I had an agenda. <laughs> but either it had you know, followed a float or sort of checked out something or something sort of caught my attention and I was checking it out. And of course, didn't realize that I was quote unquote lost until I was quote unquote found by my aunt in a store somewhere. She was like, oh, where have you been? Where have you been? Where have you been? I don't think she reacted that way, but the spirit was, you have been found. Where have you been? Let's get back to home base. And so one of my earliest memories of the Rose Bowl parade is being quote unquote lost and found. All of which is to say, keep your eyes on Brother Avery when he's out there the next time. Dream, believe, achieve. Amen. So today we are talking about giving. We are still in the Thanksgiving season. So thankful. So much to be thankful for. We're talking about how to give. We have just experienced Giving Tuesday, which Mm -hmm. is a chance for many people to identify some good causes to give to. But we want to consider something a little bit different because I love the idea of Giving Tuesday, but perhaps giving every day. We want to do more than just give on Tuesday. We want to give our all. We want to give 100% to this thing called life and do it in a way that is actually meaningful and impactful. Every day. Every single day. And so what are the ways that you are giving your life to building the road to Wakanda? Because it's more than just giving a sort of a check. It's more than just being doing something nice on Giving Tuesday. We have limited time on this planet. We have finite time. And the time that we have left, how are you going to use it toward building Wakanda? And I like the notion of Giving Tuesday, you know, it's Genesis was sort of as a counterpoint to Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all these consumerist oriented days and saying, hey, you can you can give to a worthy organization where you can donate to a charity. And I like the idea of even extending that beyond that to think about how we all, as we move forward, can sow into the lives of others and whether that is through giving monetarily to a charitable organization, whether that's giving of your time. I've been on a couple of different boards for some nonprofits, and they always talk about the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. Yes. And so Giving Tuesday generally focuses on the last of those, the treasure, Mm -hmm. give some money to some worthy organizations. Which is important. Which is very important because they need it. But also being willing, because maybe you don't either have the the treasure or maybe you uh, wish to direct that in some other direction. But also giving of your time, mm-hmm. giving of your talent, giving of your creativity yes. to these organizations. They all need our help. And also just giving to your community. It doesn't have to be a specific organized thing. It can be something as simple as, you know, here, for example, on on a Tuesday, typically, we'll have the garbage trucks roll through. And, you know, it's the garbage trucks that have the automated arm that grabs the barrel and dumps it in. But if you're walking down the street... And you see a piece of trash, pick it up. That's giving of your a little bit of your time and a little bit of your talent. You know, picking up your neighborhood, waving at your neighbor. Shout out to Mr. Frank, who taught us both how to do that back in the day. <laughs> yes. Shout out to you, Norman Frank. Was he also your homeroom teacher? He wasn't my homeroom teacher, but he was my math teacher. Yeah, math teacher in our middle school. He was one of those guys. He looked like the character... He looked like the male, the male figure in American Gothic, the painting American Gothic. Kind of had like a it was very tall and uh, very slender. Had kind of this hand in the form of a pitchfork, almost. <laughs> and he had like the longest fingers that I am convinced had a tractor beam attached at the very end, because you could be at the other end of the courtyard, and if you had your shirt untucked, let's say. Mm-hmm. We wore uniforms in our middle school. You would then be walking 
down some breezeway, literally the opposite side of the courtyard, and you'd feel like this pull on the back of your head. That's right. And you'd look around, and there he was with his finger extended towards his you. E.T. like finger yeah. extended. And you're like, you, you're, you stop dead in your tracks. And finally, when you just magically like rotate around to lock eyes with him, he would just pantomime this movement around your waist, meaning tuck in your shirt. Mm-hmm. And, and if you didn't do it right away, almost like the force, you'd like levitate like a half inch off the ground. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you're like, uh-oh, better tuck in my shirt. And then you did. And then suddenly you're released. And you move on. And he would also point to trash that might be lying around. Mm-hmm. And the excuse that I didn't do it or this is not my trash. Didn't matter. In, did not matter. Was insufficient. He said, this is your space. This is our space. And we are collectively responsible for keeping it clean. Pick up that trash. And woe unto you if you were caught chewing gum. Because then out of the other hand that was not holding you in the tractor beam, out of his back pocket would mm-hmm. come a putty scraper. And you'd be scraping up other people's spit out gum mm-hmm. to help maintain our common space. The, the tragedy of the commons was something he did not believe in whatsoever. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. So but shout out to Shout Mr. out Frank. to you, Mr. Frank. You yes. were a fantastic teacher and really in ways that are out of scope for this podcast, a wonderful influence upon my life. Amen. And mine as well. Young people won't realize this, but he used to have a giant slide rule in his classroom that was like taller than us kids that he had as a prop. And it was funny because actually I knew how to use a slide rule. And it was really cool because he'd use it sometimes. I could use a slip and slide. Well, that's a different type of math. And the slide rule was great because he actually used it to help us learn some things about multiplication, logarithms, and such. Mm-hmm. Fantastic math teacher. And shout out to all the teachers out there. Speaking of giving, being able to give of your, your time and your talent and arguably... Blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, and tears mm-hmm. as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Really, I can't even begin to, to tip my hat to all of them. So, so we are grateful. We are thankful. So thankful. And so, again, like those teachers, we want to give our life toward things that matter, the things that are important. And so into the lives of others. I mean, we could spend the whole show talking about teachers, but that's one thing they, they absolutely do is they sow into the lives of others. And as we're in this holiday season, I think it's important for all of us to sow into the lives of others, not just in terms of giving gifts, but in terms of giving, you know, an opportunity for a beneficial change to the lives of others. Amen. We have a new COVID variant that is moving around the world. I never thought that pledging a fraternity and learning the Greek alphabet would ever come back and be handy again. I've never learned the Greek alphabet. Good for you. (laughs) My daughters and I are working on the Amharic alphabet although it's not really an alphabet it's called the fidel which puts the consonant and the vowel together into one symbol so instead of having say 24 letters like english like the english alphabet i think it's 24 22 24 something like that this is actually the first i've heard of this it sounds incredible which alphabet again this is amharic which is the national language of ethiopia Uh one of the many languages in Ethiopia. It's the official language, not the only one spoken in, in Ethiopia. So there's Amharic, there's Tigrinya, there's Oromo, there's Somali, other languages in there. But one of the oldest languages in the world, it's a Semitic language, akin to and in the same language family as Hebrew, Arabic, other East African languages. So anyway, so my daughters and I are learning Amharic. That's fantastic. I think it's so good to learn different languages. We talked about that a little bit last time. First of all, while your children are young, your brains are malleable enough. Oh, my brain is malleable. Well, your brain <laughs> is malleable for a completely different reason because you're a grown-ass man. But my uh, children's brain... Malleable as to mush, but yes. <laughs> but for children, their brains are actually capable. They can be complete polyglots. And learn multiple languages based on what they're exposed to while they're young. 
And Amen. we're doing that with we're doing that with our kids. Yes, uh, we mentioned during a, a prior episode about learning French mm-hmm. because of the connection through Louisiana. Yes, uh, but also in kindergarten he's learning Spanish, and then of course English. So we also have some Louisiana roots as well, Lake Charles, Louisiana, one of the few places in the United States that was subjected to three of the major colonial powers. Mm-hmm. So initially. The Spanish. Mm-hmm. France got it from Spain. Then Fran- the French. And then, you know, English vis-a-vis also, or sorry, then also the you know, English slash United States of America. And of course, Thomas Jefferson, one of our most purchase. famous enslavers, purchased the territory. I want to say 1804, but don't quote me on that because I'm not sure about that. Yeah, something like that. I should know that. As a so-called historian, I should know that off the top of my head, and I hope I'm not wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong, nothing wrong with learning and growing and figuring things out um, after you make a mistake. That is okay, too. So I don't mind being publicly wrong in that regard, but I think it's around 1804. And we'll have the actual date in the show notes. But anyway, um, today we're rocking a OSIB HCTL, no, an OSIB D-H-C-T-L. Bless you. Yes. We are rocking the official <laughs> Sky is Black Dirty Hot Chai Tea Latte. That's a lot. It's good, though. It's like, take that with you right there. <laughs> I Believe me, I'm going to take that with me everywhere I go today. So it's the official Sky is Black Hot Chai Tea Latte with an espresso shot. Right on. So shout out again to My Place Cafe. Appreciate the love. Yeah, we love you guys. And so I want to bring to your attention a fellowship that's coming up next year. We talked about the Apple Boot Camp for Black Founders in the that's last right. episode. People were hyped about that. But they said, okay, Bernard, you're giving us this information too damn late. Too damn late because I want to share it. I want to be involved, but there's not enough time. And so apologies. We will do better in that in 2022. We're doing better with it right about now. From Carnegie Mellon University, it is the Data Science for Social Good Summer Fellowship. So it is 24 fellows, six projects, 12 weeks. And the application deadline for that is January 28th, 2022. Right. So you still have time. I really like what they're doing. I, li- I like the, the structure of this particular fellowship. Having them work in small teams with the nonprofit organization to try to take them to the next level, try to get their efforts to go up another notch. The fellowship is a project-based training program designed to produce data scientists and practitioners of machine intelligence and artificial intelligence with strong skills in solving real-world problems and understanding excitement and passion for solving problems with social impact. They have three goals. One, training fellows. They want to create the next generation of data scientists. Two, they want to expose and train governments and other nonprofits to better use data to make better decisions. Three, they want to see the community people and organizations who are working together and make an impact. This is a fantastic program. And if you're at all interested, there'll be a link in the show notes, but be sure to apply. You've got, you've got a little bit of time, but don't wait. January 28th, 2022. Don't wait, don't wait. So let's see, what else do we have going on? Timnit has something coming up this week. You're also invited over for dinner. Well, Timnit will get a coffee invitation. Dinner is nice, but coffee is everything. So Timnit is part of the 100 Brilliant Women in AI Ethics Summit. She is giving a keynote address about holding big tech accountable, and she is going to announce her own independent AI research institute, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. We are going to highlight this once the announcement comes out. It's, can't wait to hear more about it. So when, when Tim joins us on the show, this will be one of the things that we talk about. And shout out to the Ford Foundation for uh, supporting and sponsoring this annual event. Yes. And so there'll be a, a link in the show notes, but some other sessions that are happening. Jennifer Lee is giving a talk about the fight against the surveillance state, mm-hmm. which I 
absolutely agree with. Privacy is everything. Privacy is a right. Corey Kreider is giving a talk on litigating for tech fairness and accountability. Julie Awono, who's part of the Facebook oversight team, is talking about big tech oversights boards, how they can be effective and actually preserve our privacy. It's going to be an incredibly interesting conversation. And Ifioma Azomo, which I think we've talked about before, if not, I certainly meant to, who is the founder and principal of Earthseed, is talking about protecting tech whistleblowers. She's actually put out a publication about that with some steps on how to do that effectively. If you see something at your workplace that is inappropriate and wrong and you want to bring attention to it and expose it, these are the ways to do it, to keep yourself safe, to be legally protected, so on and so forth. And so my guess is that she will talk more in depth about that. So there is a publication about that. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But again, her name is Ifioma Azoma. And again, being the name butcherer, good chance I, I am disrespecting right. Sister Ifioma. I think you got it right. This is the 100 Brilliant Women in AI Ethics Summit 2021. And there'll be a link to it in the show notes. It's available uh, via Eventbrite and coming up. So what else is going on in the world, he says rhetorically. I did see that Zambia is launching a new airline with the help of Ethiopian Airlines. They're going to be taking their very first flight on December 1st. Zambia's airline? Zambia Airways is the name of it. So Zambia Airlines with a partnership from Ethiopian Airlines. And of course, Ethiopia is Ethiopian Airlines is the premier airline in Africa. And so they are partnering with Zambia for Zambia Airways, which launches in December. Nice. Excited about that. I bring that up because perhaps that is something that we'll use when we actually get ourselves on the road sometime soon. Afrochella. Afrochella. 2022. Right. But again, we have this damn virus variant that is really pissing me off, I got to say. I have three words for that. Get your shot. Get your shot. Get your shot. Get your shot. You know, for those of you who are here in America, for those of you who aren't part of the black community, you might be like, why do I care? Why do I care about what's going on in the black community? Why do I care about what's happening in in Africa? Well, exactamundo. Spin the wheel. Pick your favorite Greek letter. And... Or Amharic letter. Not that it's a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Pick your... When it comes to COVID, Mm -hmm. pick your favorite Greek letter. Spin the wheel. And... Where are those variants coming from? Those variants are coming from undervaxed countries. Locations. Exactly. So it's coming from the global south. It's coming from, you know, places that are not getting access to equivalent equitable health care. Yes. And so that means even if you are the sort that really believes in the concept of community and looking out for your neighbor and being together. Even if you are the the sort that believes that we are in all in this together. And And we are. And so you've gotten your vaccine Mm -hmm. and your booster, Mm -hmm. like I'm triple vaxxed. Even if you are that person, you really want everyone to be able to get this. The vaccine, that is. You want everyone to be able to get the vaccine because the longer this thing goes around and yeah, yeah, yeah. People have already given me the feedback saying viruses aren't alive, and I I know that. You know, I shout out to Susan Grether, biology teacher. I know that viruses aren't alive, but I am so I oversimplify when I say that the virus just wants to survive. The actual virus is not conscious at all, but it does try to survive, and because all it wants to do is replicate. Viruses, as you know, aren't actually alive. They use the mechanisms of living organisms to reproduce. But the longer this thing is kicking around the more likely it is to continue with variants, the further down we're down, we're going down the Greek alphabet, hopefully not circling back to where we have the alpha alpha variant. But mm-hmm. the, the longer that we let this thing roam around the, in the wild amongst all of the human population, the more likely it is that at some point it's going to break past the vaccines and then we're all back in it. So why dear listener, should you care? 
Why, dear listeners, should you advocate for everyone having equitable access to medicines and vaccines? Your own selfish self-preservation. Yes, there's something in it for you. And that's not true just and that's not true only for COVID. It's true kind of across the board. You know, we have stamped out things like polio, um, smallpox. You know, there if we as a species, if we collectively decide to stamp these things out and make sure that everyone gets protected, then how much better would the world be? How much more resource could we be spending on things that we want to do? How much closer to Wakanda could we get, all of us? Because, yes, when we go to Wakanda, you get to come with us. So get your shot. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about how to serve, how to give, how to have a life that matters. How we can all help each other get there. Yes. Sky is black. Sky is us. The first annual Pan-African Food Festival will arrive in the summer of 2022. And for the first time ever, diners will enjoy a true Pan-African table with food and wine from places like Ethiopia, Jamaica, Morocco, New Orleans, Nigeria, Atlanta, Belize, New York, South Africa, Cuba, Brazil, Haiti, Kenya, Barbados, London, Egypt, Ghana, Senegal, and Puerto Rico. Every premier chef of African descent, along with restaurant owners, authors, bartenders, food critics, even YouTube stars, will be invited to participate in the tastiest, spiciest, most down-home and delicious food festival there has ever been. Sure, you've probably had soul food, but you've never, ever been to this flavor town. So join me as we organize step-by-step, chef-by-chef, a dinner party over a thousand years in the making. Sound like a good time? Somebody say the blessing. I've got some great, exciting news. You know, we were talking about NK a moment ago. and NK, please call me. Mm -hmm. Did you hear about this? Did you hear about how the National Book Foundation... You know, they listed their award winners, and two of them are black authors. Have you heard about that? I did. The author and poet Jason Mott won the Fiction Prize, and uh, author and, like you, uh, historian Tia Miles won for nonfiction. What up? The fiction, what, what? The fiction book is called, ironically or not so ironically, Hell of a Book, and from the publisher... A black author sets out on a cross-country publicity tour to promote his best-selling novel. That storyline drives hell of a book, and it's the scaffolding of something much larger and urgent. Since Mott's novel also tells the story of Soot, a young black boy living in a rural town in the recent past, and The Kid, a possibly imaginary child who appears to the author on his tour. As the character's stories build in as the character stories build and converge, they astonish. And for for a while, this heartbreaking magical book entertains as once about family, love of parents, children, art, and money. It's also about the nation's reckoning with a tragic police shooting playing over and over again in the news. And with that, what it can mean to be black in America. I wish I'd read these books already. I applaud their achievement, and I'm ashamed that I haven't read their works yet. And so we will put these books in the Sky's Black bookshop so that we can all read these things together. But let me ask you this, though. The name of this character, Soot, what statement, theoretically, might the author be stating with the name of this character being Soot? That's actually a great question. I mean, when I read the name of the character Soot, I always think of the results of combustion. Soot, the ashes. Yes. And in some cases, that is the remains, what's mm-hmm. left over. Right. But also, when you think of, like, I immediately went to things like ashes and sackcloth, the mm-hmm. things that you do when you're mourning. If you repentance. have. And repentance. You know, if you've got this, the reckoning and reconciliation that's been happening in this country over the last year or so, you know, maybe. The soot represents the opportunity for repentance and mm-hmm. and realignment and all kinds of other words that begin with with re uh, reconciliation. Uh, but this is a great book, and, and likewise, I do want to read it. I just found out about these books, and so I'm looking forward to reading that one. The other one, the nonfiction book, 
is All That She Carried, The Journey mm-hmm. of Ashley Sack, yep. a black family keepsake, mm-hmm. also from the publisher. In the 1850s South Carolina, an enslaved woman named Rose faced a crisis, the imminent sale of her daughter Ashley. Thinking quickly, she packed a cotton bag with a few precious items as a token of love and to try to ensure Ashley's survival. Soon after, the nine-year-old girl was separated from her mother and sold. Decades later, Ashley's granddaughter Ruth embroidered this family history on the, on the bag in a spare yet haunting language including Rose's wish list that it be filled with my love always. Ruth's own words, the reason we remember Ashley's sack today, evoke a sweeping family story of loss and love passed down through generations. Now, in this illuminating, deeply moving new book, inspired by Rose's gift to Ashley, historian Tia Miles carefully unearths these women's faint presence in archival records to follow the paths of their lives and the lives of so many women like them to write a singular and revelatory history of the experience of slavery and the uncertain freedom afterwards here in the United States. Once again, another awesome book that I'm looking forward to reading. Which is already on my list. And so, um, All That She Carried by mm-hmm. Tia Miles and then earlier, Hell of a Book by Jason Mott. Shout out to you both. We applaud your achievement. Congratulations. And look forward to engaging fully with your work. Um, did you hear about the poetry writing robot? We've been talking about artificial intelligence. Lately, we've been talking about robotics, augmented reality, virtual reality, so on and so forth. The dark side of our tech future. But there was an event the last couple of days where a robot wrote some poetry and did a robotic poetry reading. So this robot read Dante's Divine Comedy, then produced a poem based upon that reading. And I'm going to read you the poem. And by the way, the robot's name is Ada, A-I-D-A, Ada. Different from like Ada Lovelace or Ada Anderson. Mm-hmm. Ada Lovelace, the creator of the computer. Yes, she's credited as being the very first programmer. Yes. Ada Lovelace. Um, So the poem goes like this. Quote, We looked up from our verses like blindfolded captives, sent out to seek the light, but it never came. A needle and thread would be necessary for the completion of the picture. To view the poor creatures who were in misery, that of a hawk, eyes sewn shut. That's actually not that. That poem was not bad. You know, it's, it's poetic. It's poetic. Po- poetic ish. Yes. And I, I would say that you know, poetic, but poetic ish. My my wife's mother is a poet and published a number of books on poetry. And I don't think that uh, Ada will put her out of work. I don't think so. But it's it's not bad. It certainly won't damper her own poetic impulses. Oh, but in terms not. of the marketplace, if someone's looking for quick, easy poetry. Why are they going to pay your mother-in-law to do that when they can just have Ada spit out some stuff every five seconds to the end of time and be done with it? Who needs damn human creativity when you can get away with something that is poetic-ish? But do you really want poems turned out like no, you McDonald's don't. French fries? No, I don't you do think not. So. I, think, I, I don't I think, think that you do. I think when, you, when you're looking for poetry, you're looking for something that's going to move you, something that's going to really inspire you and cause you to think differently. I mean, I thought this poem was, was interesting. It created a couple of interesting visuals, but I'm not sure. It's got nothing on what she would do or what I would do or what you would do. Right. But the marketplace may summon this kind of work for its own ends. We'll see. I fear. I mean, you know, I mean, there's already, you know, greeting cards, I mean, you can just sort of automate that particular process. Thank you, love you, can't wait to see you next year. Do a, a million and one versions of that and be done with it. Cut, I think cut I, our employee count to zero and get some ADAs on the team, and they're good to go. Perhaps. I think that there are always... More, more, than, more than perhaps. I mean, that's, that's market-driven, quote-unquote, necessity right there. You know what? You might be right when it comes to greeting cards. Maybe there can be an algorithm for like the the, the birthday card. You know, little bits of prose there. 
and yet I and think there's also an advertising company that we may have mentioned that I was going to mention at some point or another that's also using artificial intelligence for its marketing, for its advertising, for yes. publicity and things like that. So it's not just in the realm of greeting cards or poetry. The list goes on. The artificial intelligence grows. And yet, I think there will always be a marketplace for things driven by humans. I mean, like if you think about clothing, when someone says, oh, this was a hand-sewn garment, you know, this was hand-stitched leather, you know, those sorts of things. Obviously, robots are generally used for the manufacture of a lot of things. And a lot of of the creation of a lot of the goods that we consume are done using highly automated processes. You can sew and stitch. But can you do it as well as 3D printing? I mean, in fact, I just saw an article earlier this week about 3D printed prosthetic eyes, which used to be done by hand. It was a highly specialized task, but now 3D printing has taken that over. It does it much better, much quicker. And so even in this creative realm, artificial intelligence, it's making its presence known. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I will also still contend that there will always be a marketplace. And I think to an extent it'll also drive I don't, I don't up. disagree. I don't disagree. I think it'll actually I think it creates the opportunity for there to be a premium for, you know, okay, so you get your mass market greeting card, your mass market advertising campaign, even if it's a and I hate to say it this way, but even if it's a creative widget, so it's a, a, a jing, an advertising jingle or a piece of poetry to go on your wall. I think that for those that are still crafting them, the humans that are crafting them, I think that'll create an opportunity for them to charge a price, a higher price, and say, okay, you get the premium handwritten, human-crafted poem, the premium hand-stitched thing. I think that's. Uh, I think that creates an opportunity for it to be something that's unique that's not part of the mass-produced marketplace, and I think that could potentially drive a premium. Philosophically, I agree with you. I'm not sure if the market will bear that out. I'm an optimist, so yes. I'm a faith-infused realist. So if you're looking for results as opposed to the process, then artificial intelligence has a speed. If you're looking for the widget, then that's been true for some time. The entire industri- it is. The entire industrial revolution yes, is, it is essentially nets itself out to the machines are able to make product X better and faster and more consistently than humans. That's yeah. been ca- the case for quite some time now, many generations. And now it's tackling the creative realm as well. And I think that there'll be a place for that. And I think there will always be a place for the human element. I personally don't think that there's no place for that. I just, it's here and its growth is inevitable. The yeah. algorithms are coming algorithms are here and kicking ass. So could I do a, a poem that's quote unquote better than Ada's poem? Some would say yes. Many would say no. Depends on what your perspective is, what your understanding of poetry is. They say, okay, Bernard, your, your poem is pretty good, but it's not quote unquote better than Ada's. Well, mine wouldn't be because I'm not a poet and I know it. Aha. 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 Like most things, you are more poetic than you give yourself credit for. So, what do you know from funny? Aha. Aha. Mama called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. <laughs> that ain't nothing but Ultra Prime. <laughs> Another thing that we want to talk about is a conference that is coming up at Harvard, which sounds very interesting to me. It is the Art as Activism Conference. It's a conversation with Nelson Macamo. This to me is what art is all about. And Nelson Macamo is best known for his charcoal and oil paintings that redress decades of images that have portrayed African children in destitution. I mean, how often have we seen the image of abject poverty, flies circling around, which of course at times is not inaccurate or unauthentic. But if that becomes the signature image of our beloved motherland, that is a problem because that is altogether false and inaccurate. So I love what Brother Nelson is doing with his work. 
So that is coming up on December 7th. Definitely urge you to check it out. I will be checking it out. The Harvard University Center for African Studies. So you as an artist, what are your thoughts about art as activism? I think all art is, a- is activism. I think I all agree. Ar- I think all art is activism. I think... And all art is politics. Anytime you have human expression, anytime you have creative expression, you're saying something about who you are. You're saying something about the environment that you're in. And you're saying something about your state of mind. That's always the case. And so, so much art reflects who you are and where you're at mm-hmm. and and sort of what's your concern what's weighing on your mind and and so to me especially when you think about a tangible expression of the soul exactly exactly and when you start thinking about like black artists or artists from underrepresented communities a lot of that just <clears throat> sort of weighs on your mind and you're thinking about how to break out and to and to express sort of really what's going on especially because when you are doing something especially in the visual arts you can't unsee something so you have an opportunity to to project an image into someone's brain to have a direct interface to where who they are and to to directly communicate in that way a direct download to the soul exactly and so i think that all of it is activism it has it all has a way of not only be being activism in the sense of you know advocating for something, but also has the opportunity for activating mm-hmm. something in the recipient, in the viewer's mind. So I'm excited about this, and I cannot wait to check it out. Big ups to Nelson Makamo. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about how to live a worthy life, how to give our blood, sweat, and tears to causes that really matter. And how to be an ally. Word. Sky is black. Sky is activism. Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And we have a big announcement to make. Big. Starting on January 1st, 2022, we are launching the Year Year of of Ujamaa. Ujamaa. Now, most of you probably recognize that word Ujamaa from the Pan-African Heritage Holiday Kwanzaa which means in Swahili, cooperative economics, which we will talk about in detail. Yeah. But I have a question about personal economics first. And that is what percentage of your discretionary and disposable income actually supports black businesses? You mean outside of coffee? Outside of coffee. Real talk. I would say it's probably not as much as I would like to think it is. If I were to reflect on my own finances, which is always a terrifying thing to do, (laughs) but when I reflect on my own finances, I would say that it's probably less than 5%. Yeah, I would say probably less than 5% for me too, which I'm embarrassed to say. I'm ashamed to say. Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Imagine what we would accomplish if we just moved from 2% of our dollars to 5% of our dollars, 10% of our dollars. Hey... 50% 50% of our dollars? Think about that. what that would do. What would happen if we all took whatever that percentage is in your, in your household? What if that suddenly went to 20%? Yes. What if we all did that? Not because we're anti-anybody. No. But in terms of simply supporting businesses that support us and that represent us. Accepting the challenge. So, yeah, the year of Ujamaa. 365 days of Ujamaa. And we want you guys to come along. So we're asking you, dear listener, to join us as we embark upon this this journey. And we're not doing this as sort of like a cold turkey, you know, one-off sort of stunt. Walking the walk. But really, yeah, walking that walk in a sustainable, durable way. We're looking to actually change our lives. And along the way, especially if we do it collectively, change the lives of black businesses throughout the diaspora and so check out our journey some of it's going to be amazing some of it will might not be quite so amazing but challenge accepted 365 days of pure vibranium ujama Ujama. boom walk that talk very excited about year of ujama long overdue and 
that is one of the ways that we are trying to use our lives in a way that matters, in a way that's meaningful, in a way that actually makes an impact on the world. Otherwise, what's the point? And I've been thinking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, about the impact that we're making and how not only the impact that we're making, you know, ourselves directly, but the impact that we can help others make. Mm-hmm. During our last episode, we were talking about different books and things that help reinforce you know, your, your sense of, of pride and, and confidence in who you are. Which you can find at this guy's black bookstore. And it turns out that one of the books I mentioned, this book Wings by Christopher Myers. And I love that cover, I got to say. Was, was a book actually my wife purchased. And I'm not going to spoil the book. It's a great book. So go ahead and read it. Wings by Christopher Myers. But one part in the book, it's not only about the boy, Icarus, but it's also about the narrator in the book. The character's name is Icarus? Yes. As in Flight of Icarus? Yes. Okay. Love it. So it's Icarus Jackson. So it's referencing another story in a not-so-subtle way. Yes, absolutely. So Icarus, of course, flew too high, too close to the sun, and, of course, plummeted to the ground. Because he had wings that he had made that were attached by wax to his arms, and as he was flying... On those wings, he got too close to the sun. The wax began to soften and melt. The feathers flew out, or the feathers came loose, and he plummeted to the ground. Our vibranium wax, as we fly, does not melt. Vibranium wax coming to the sky's black marketplace. <laughs> With this book, though, one thing that sort of came out to me was this notion of it's okay to be different but also this notion of speaking up for the person that is different, speaking up to be an ally to those differences. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that is so important. And it's one of the things that for all of us to move forward, you know, how can we be uh, a better ally? And it was funny because I was reading this book to my son, and then I came across this article that I forwarded to you, that mm-hmm. also helped me sort of connect the dots about being an ally. Yes. And it's the funniest thing because it's because we're, we're, we, we talk about science fiction and futurism and things like that a lot. And so we, we talk and we're both uh, Trekkies around here. And so we talk about live long and prosper. We talk about Star Trek around here and Star Trek four, the voyage home. Love it. Was always for me sort of like the, the slightly goofy Star Trek uh, movie. But it's the feel-good one, though. The, yeah, the feel-good one with the whales and everything else. And, and also, for me, as, as a tech person, you know, it was the one where Scotty's there talking to the mouse, trying to, like, to, you know, with an old-school, like, so you know, funny. 1980s, <laughs> so funny. where he's, like, holding the mouse button. He's like, computer, mm-hmm. computer. Mm-hmm. And, so funny. And, and then also, it was one of those things, like, you know, how cool would it be to have, like, a Klingon bird of prey like decloak in san francisco bay and that would be quite a whistle and so this is one of those things though this is a little bit of a, a slightly protracted shout out to lauren tomman she wrote an article which we'll have a link to good writer uh saying talking about the title of the article is the biggest lesson from star trek for the voyage home that isn't talked about enough and she's a good writer i like her we'll put some links to some of her other work as well so, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Star Trek Four. So, be aware I'm going to sort of bounce all over the the plot here. So, spoils afoot. Spoils afoot. So, for those of you who've seen it, or for those of you who haven't and don't mind the spoiler alert, we've already given you our PSA. Basically, but theoretically, I'm totally against spoiler alerts. I barely even watch previews. It's only in the last couple of years that I've actually even started to watch previews because I value the cinematic experience so much that I don't want to have it undermined by a preview. So, theor- so theoretically, I'm totally against the spoiler altogether, even though we're about to do that. Well, it's a spoiler only in the sense that it, we need to talk about sort of the, the beginning and the end of the movie. And so 
I normally I, I would have my ears covered right now, going blah 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 while, while people are talking, so as to not hear what's being said, because I, for one, can't stand spoilers. And yet, you robbing know, me of my own personal experience. And yet, I think that. And yet, there are so many movies out there that we all like to watch more than once. Yes, you know, if we're still talking about Star Trek, I can watch Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Whether it's on cable, whether they're commercials, you know, if it's at the airport, I will watch Say Con again. (laughs) Con! Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I can see that movie over and over again. And so to me, Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, so on one hand, since I've seen the movie a million times, it's already spoiled for me. So, you know, quote spoiled. But so having the opportunity, and this is part of our communal storytelling, you know, part of human nature of telling stories repeatedly and having them become sort of part of our, part of our canon. Yes. And so the, so, so yes, it's a spoiler alert, but also at the same time, for those of you who've already seen it, or if you haven't seen it, I'm going to talk about it. And maybe, maybe if you have not seen this movie, maybe I'll inspire you to see it. Or press pause right now, see it, and then come back and finish this conversation. There you go. So, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Mm-hmm. And the short version of the premise is that aliens come to Earth. As they want to do. Listen, aliens <laughs> always want to visit Earth. I'm not sure what it is. We just because they, they like the beaches here. Mm-hmm. And they're broadcasting the signal, and it turns out that it's in whale song. And so the, star, the, the crew of the Enterprise has to like figure out what to do. And they happen to be on a Klingon bird of prey as their ship, which is from the prior movie. Mm-hmm. And so they got to figure out what to, they do, what to do. And this article by the article by Lauren mm-hmm. brings up this point. You know, this is Star Trek, so it's set in the future. Star Trek in the Star Trek universe, everyone. I mean, for purposes of being a television show, everyone speaks the same language, speaks English. But for those of you who kind of do this deep dives, like, oh, how does it all work? Everyone has, like, these earbuds in their ears, and it's the universal translator, blah, 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 blah. It's Wakanda. It is Wakanda. And so, so you think that if you have, you know, teleporters, faster-than-light drives, artificial intelligence, computers, all these things, cloaking devices. And Uhura. Shout out. Shout out to Lieutenant Uhura, who's always lieutenant in all these things. Why can't she get, didn't she get promoted to be captain at some point? She had a ship at one point, didn't she? I think she did. Somebody, somebody contact us and remind us what ship she had, or we'll have it in the show notes. We'll figure it out. But the point is, is that, you know, if you have all this technology and suddenly, shoom, aliens show up and they're speaking whale. Now, in this universe, in the Star Trek universe, uh, the year like uh, twenty two sixty something was a good year. <laughs> it was a very good year. A year without any whales, because at that point all the whales are extinct. In the year that this movie is made, or this year this movie is portraying, it's no Brian Adams, but <laughs> nevertheless. And so the thing is, is that those aliens show up. They're Broadcasting in whale, and rather than than so so the aliens show up, they're broadcasting their signal in whale song, and rather than saying, "Hey, let's go synthesize whale song," apparently, and I hadn't thought about this until I read this article. You would think that that would be easier, you know. Take you know the computer that talks to you in whatever language, and we say, you know, I'm sure there's some recordings of whales. I use my Wakanda to Whale Song app. I don't know about you, but exactly. that's what I there, use. There'd have to be an app for that, and instead they they decide that it's easier than synthesizing whale song. It's easier to the, to go back in time 300 years and go scoop up a couple whales and then bring them back. So two time travel events instead of simply synthesizing some whale song. And Lauren makes the point Mm -hmm. that this, in a very silly, um, but also very futuristic way. In a profound way. Is a good example of being an ally. So the people in power, the species in power, the civilization that's in power, rather than synthesizing and making up their own version, essentially, you know, co-opting, co-opting federation splaining Mm -hmm. whales. They go back 
and they get some whales. They bring, I mean, the bad news is that they're extinct, but but they take this marginalized because you can't possibly be more marginalized than being extinct. That is true. You and, do make a point there. <laughs> they, 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 they take this marginalized population and bring, bring them back mm-hmm. and they bring them forward um, and they bring them forward into the, into the current period for, uh, for Star Trek. And then here's the thing. They put them there back into the ocean to communicate with the aliens, thereby saving the planet. And the aliens and the whales have a conversation Apparently, they said some good things about humanity and the state of Earth or whatever. And boom, Earth is saved. The movie ends on a, on a happy note. But that's what being an ally is all about. Because, and she points it out in, this art, in, the, in her article. She says that not only... People deserve their own voices. Yeah, not only do you bring forward this marginalized population, mm-hmm. but you give them the microphone and you step back and let them have their voice you're not trying to you know federation splain and or human splain what's going on mm-hmm. you're not standing in the middle spock splain spock splain but instead you're you're stepping back and you're listening and allowing them to use their own voice and to me that's part of what being an ally is all about and the best part is for those of you who aren't part of these communities and say well why should i be an ally well, in this movie, in Star Trek, everyone gets saved. So it's nice that they're stepping back and allowing the marginalized to speak for themselves, but that generosity has only emerged from a life-and-death situation. It's that marginalized voice that ultimately saves their asses. But hopefully, if you're at all curious, if you're ally-curious, mm-hmm. you won't wait until it's life or death. Ally-esque. <laughs> you won't wait until it's life or death. You'll you'll have the opportunity to be an ally before it's life and death, and allow us all Amen. to be to move forward. To allow us all to to achieve more. And you know, being an ally, there's there's nothing new about this, and it's it was kind of this whole thing of Star Trek has had me sort of thinking about it a bit. I mean, recently there was a thing in the Harvard Business Review about how to be a better ally, mm-hmm. talking about making sure that you listen and do your, do your homework and, and educate yourself to where you own your own privilege. Know where you come from in the sense that, you know, hey, I'm able-bodied and maybe someone else isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to know that you Amen. have, you know, a certain level of capability and privilege that maybe you, other people don't. Privilege can be defined in all kinds of different ways. Exactly. And, and we, we all have, have some form of privilege. Exactly. And so Harvard Business Review talks about this. There's a great TED Talk that was recently uh, promoted. It came, the TED Talk was done a couple of years ago. But, um, but it was promoted recently by the NIH on how to be a better ally in the workspace. National Institute of Health? Yes. Okay. That's right. The uh, yeah, National Institutes of Health. And the TED Talk was by um, Melinda Epler. What up, Melinda? And essentially it boils down to, you know, do no harm. So listen, don't interrupt, that kind of thing. Be an advocate. And then going back to our earlier point, make a change in someone's life. You know, a significant change in someone's life for the better. And that's really, and if you do that, then we all benefit why should you care? Why should you be an ally? Because those marginalized might save your ass. Yes. That's the selfish reason. The more altruistic, proactive reason is because we're all in this together. We care about one another. We care about a vision that goes beyond our own selfish needs. But even if you're being selfish, and I'm, and I'm not advocating for being selfish, of course, but, but even if you're thinking you know, just to, about your own needs, mm-hmm. It has the opportunity, creates the opportunity for, for benefit to you. At the end of the day, we are all in it together. It's just facts. Right. So let's start acting like it. Yes, let's all be together. Let's all be allies for each other. Let's all care for each other. Let's all advocate for each other. Let's all listen to each other. 
and not wait until it's a life and death situation. Although every moment of life is in fact a life and death situation, but let's not wait until calamity falls. Let's do what we know is right, right now. And let's also make sure we save the whales now so they can stick around to save us from the aliens later. And that is what we're trying to do. We are trying to be allies. We are trying to be instruments for good. Uh, We want to use, again, our blood, sweat, and tears to make a difference and do something that is actually impactful. Yeah, and and make it to where it all becomes a better world, not only just for us, but for you and for all of our families, all of our children, all the people that we care about. Amen. And even those we don't care about. We love our enemies at the same time, too. Our quote-unquote enemies. I don't believe in enemies. Our quote-unquote enemies. We're in the season of Thanksgiving. I want to thank all of you for listening to us. Sky is Black is forward-facing conversations with experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators of African descent, spanning the entire African diaspora. Worldwide, baby. And yet. And yet. Including all of you. Amen. Come along with us. We're happy to have you join us. Allies to all. It's not about you. It is not about me. It is about allies. Allies. Sky is black. Sky is... Sky is whale song. Sky is uhura. Sky is uhura. Sky is black. Sky is black. Sky is black.